the public ministry of Jesus begins as John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord, the way for the Lamb of God. On the Bible Brief. Want more Bible learning content like this? Sign up for our newsletter and follow us on social media. Links are in the show notes. In the 15th year of the Roman reign of Tiberius Caesar, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, the priest, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. It's been nearly three decades since the order was given by Herod. The order of slaughter. All the baby boys under two years of age in Bethlehem. Herod just had them slaughtered. The wailing in the town was surely only matched by the wailing in Egypt 1,500 years prior. Just as the enslaved Israelites wailed as the Egyptians cast their baby boys into the Nile River, so here in Bethlehem the fathers and mothers wailed at the total injustice and sadness of the event. Families were ripped apart by this Herod, all to get to that one child the one child who got away, to Egypt of all places, thanks to an angelic warning to Joseph. It was as if Jesus was somehow echoing the life of Moses. In a similar manner to Jesus, Moses himself was saved from the genocide of the Hebrew boys by the Egyptians long ago. He was saved and he grew up to be perhaps the greatest prophet in the history of the Israelite nation. It made sense that Jesus' life would echo Moses in ways, to set him apart as the heir to the legacy of the great leader of the first exodus. Jesus himself would eventually lead a new exodus, even greater than that one many years ago. But the next one wouldn't be out of Egypt. It would be out of all the nations of the Israelite diaspora. Herod had attempted to murder the Messiah, but God used this awful event as further identification of this Messiah, as the prophet like Moses. Bethlehem mourned, and the little family of Jesus stayed in Egypt until the death of the murderous king Herod. Then, finally, they were able to go back home to Nazareth, the place where the king of Israel would grow up in wisdom and stature, learning the trade of Joseph. He would work with wood and stone before becoming a stone himself a stone of stumbling for some, and a foundation stone for many others. Years pass, and finally the time for the public introduction of the Messiah comes. An introduction made by that other man of miraculous conception. Elizabeth's son John would pave the way for this coming king. John didn't live what you might call a normal life. In fact, it wasn't normal at all. 
This prophet preparing the way of the Lord was a man who lived in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey. He wore clothing made of camel's hair and held it on with a leather belt around his waist. It was an odd sort of existence, but it was part of his mission given to him by God to be a voice. A voice not in the city, but a voice in the wilderness. The unique qualities of John only emphasized the unique purpose that he was given as a great prophet before the Lord. And the people noticed. From all over Judea, crowds would come to hear this prophet, the most significant prophet since Malachi over four centuries before. Through that prophet, God had said, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And this prophet John, centuries later, was that messenger. Many flocked to John from cities and towns, from the northern region of Galilee and from the hills of Judea around Jerusalem. All the nation had heard about this prophet in the wilderness, and people wondered exactly who he was. Some thought that he might actually be the Messiah. Others thought he might somehow be Elijah returned from heaven. Still others thought he might be the prophet like Moses predicted so long ago. But John wasn't any of these people. John was John, a prophet like Elijah, yet distinct from him. A voice in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord. John's message was pretty simple, and it was this. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a message easy to say, but profound in its wonderful applications. John was telling the people that they should turn from their sins to a more pure life before God. And something big was coming. The kingdom of heaven was coming. The people, for their part, tended to have one of two reactions to this message. There were some who received it with humility and confession. They would come before John and confess their sins before he would immerse them under the waters of the Jordan River. That is, he would baptize them in a symbolic confirmation of their repentant turn towards God. Many of these humble reactions came even from the most hated in the society of the day. Jewish tax collectors that worked on behalf of their Roman oppressors would come. Soldiers would come. And others of all walks of life would come before John in humility and repentance. Then they asked John, What should we do now? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be content with your wages. John was helping these humble learn what life was like on the other side of repentance. It was a changed life with a changed direction, one in which justice and mercy ruled in the midst of life's circumstances. There was, however, another reaction, a reaction from the self-righteous those who perhaps thought they had no need of repentance because they lived what they thought were pure and righteous lives. To these, John had choice words. 
When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, those religious leaders, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John spoke a warning to these religious leaders, even as he spoke justice and mercy to the humble. Repentance isn't something that's a one-time thing. It's something that produces fruit. Something that is to be kept and not forgotten. These religious were in danger of forgetting that it wasn't their relationship to Abraham, their forefather, that made them righteous. No, John's message was to remember that they weren't righteous. They needed to repent, and they needed to bear repentant fruit in their lives. Many saw John, and many knew he was significant, one who is being used by God in magnificent ways. Yet John answered some of those who thought he might be the Messiah, saying this, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the useless chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John made it clear that he was not the Messiah. They were still waiting on the one to come after John, the one who wouldn't merely baptize with water. No, he would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. And before long, this one whom he spoke about came to the Jordan among the crowds. He'd traveled from Galilee in the northern part of Judea, and he'd come to be baptized by John. John, for his part, sees Jesus and says something profound. He says to the crowd, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself didn't know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. John essentially says to the crowd, This is the one. This is the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. And the people looked, and there was Jesus, a man who looked a whole lot like all the other men around, a man who didn't look like a lamb, and certainly didn't look like a Son of God whatever that looked like. John excitedly identifies Jesus, but the crowd apparently doesn't know what to do with the news. Sometime later, Jesus finally approaches John to be baptized. And unsurprisingly, John doesn't want to do it. He basically says this to Jesus, You're the one who should be baptizing me, not the other way around. I'm inferior to you, Jesus. Yet Jesus says this back to John. He says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented to baptize Jesus. Through the baptism, Jesus endorses what John has been doing. He endorses God's commissioning of John by undergoing the baptism of the one who is to prepare the way for him. 
John was a voice in the wilderness, and now John's superior had come. And proof of that came very quickly, because Jesus' baptism was unlike any other. When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The angels had appeared to shepherds at the birth of Jesus. But here at the baptism of Jesus, even something greater happens. The Spirit of God descends upon Jesus like a dove, and a voice rings in the heavens exclaiming that Jesus is the beloved Son of God the one who does all that his Father in heaven pleases. This is the beginning of the public ministry of Jesus, the baptism of John, the blessing of the Father, and the presence of the Holy Spirit, a beginning that foreshadows the end. Jesus is the beloved Son of God the Father, and yet Jesus is the Lamb of God, a Lamb destined for blood, a lamb who takes away the sin of the world. But not yet. First, a time of testing. A test not unlike that test back in the Garden of Eden. Jesus is offered the fruit by that ancient serpent. And the question is, will he take it? Join us next time as Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by none other than Satan himself. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023